Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the innovators and leaders of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Grow With Us podcast highlights in Tulsa Talent's work abridging Tulsa talent with tech opportunities and the revolutionary work around the city. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. On this episode of Grow With Us, we are in conversation with Eric James Stevens, an entrepreneur with a PhD in rhetoric, communication, and information design. We discuss the role of AI in his current project with builders and backers, and his experience in Tulsa with the entrepreneurship community and growing a business. Eric, I'm really excited to have you on this episode of Grow With Us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me here. And when I say here, I mean in a very literal sense. This is the first time I've been in a recording studio. And so thank you for letting me be here. This is really cool. Yes, we are. Yeah, I think we, we haven't acknowledged it on the podcast. And um, maybe we we can go peek behind the curtain a little bit. But we are in a new studio, which is super fun and exciting. And yeah, you're like the third person that's been in here. And you're also the third person to be impressed by it. So that's great too. <laughs> awesome. Um, Eric, I'm really glad that you're here. I, I, I was able to get connected to you through some of the work that um, my colleague uh, in Tulsa was doing and um, she connected us and we had a conversation prior to this and really did feel like a good conversation to have um, recorded. And so I brought all these microphones and I brought you to the space so that we can record our next conversation and really just kind of understand... Um, a lot of things that we're going to kind of get to in the episode, you know, uh, our Tulsa stories, of course, um, understanding how to navigate landscapes, um, being an entrepreneur. I'm really excited to kind of talk about a lot of those things. But go ahead and tell our Grow With Us audience, you know, your story in whatever way you feel comfortable. Yeah, I think context would be good. Like, how did I end up in Tulsa in 2018? And excited. My family and I were really excited because we, we thought we'd made it. Uh, we we got a job in Washington State, and my wife and I, we both got positions. We were teaching, and it was awesome. And then in 2020, COVID happened. And at the time, my wife was eight months pregnant with our third kid. Our landlord was saying, hey, you got to move out. Your lease is up, and we have students coming next semester. Ha, ha, ha. And so we, we really didn't have a place to stay. And so we, we packed a whole bunch of our stuff into a storage unit, found someone who gave us a six-week lease, very kind of them. And we had a baby in that house. And then we moved, we packed the rest of our things in a storage unit in Washington State. And then we moved to Maryland into my parents' basement. And that's where I converted, my, my parents had turned my former bedroom into a storage unit. <laughs> and I had turned that into a makeshift office and I hustled. Like, I tried to figure out what to do. I got a job after doing a lot of work that I was doing on LinkedIn and networking and things like that. And it was a remote position. And at the time, the Tulsa Remote Program was very young. I think I was in the third cohort mm -hmm. at the time when I applied. And it was amazing process. I got to meet some really cool people in the meantime, or like through that application process. And I applied and I got it. Uh, they welcomed me. Uh, and there's many cool things we can talk about there. And then I, I left that job ultimately because I want to start other things that we'll talk about too. Um, but we, we bought a house here and I, I planted a tree 
in my front yard, a tree that I get to watch grow until, until I leave. Yeah. And I don't plan on leaving that house. And that is something that I am so grateful that I get to give to my kids. Yeah. That feels like a really unique uh, thing for like you and your family. And uh, yeah, it's, I, it sounds like moving 10 times <laughs> is quite a bit of a burden. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, Tulsa is like a part of your story now and even a part of your future going forward. So we're, we're I'm, we, I say we almost to speak for all of Tulsa, but I'll say me. Um, those, those stories always warm my heart. You know, this, this place being a, a landscape for a family to grow, a family to feel more of a sense of permanence. Um, and that, that those things are really important to me personally for, you know, what, how I see my life. And I, I know that that's shared by other people. So thanks for sharing that. I, I'm, I'm glad that some of your stuff hopefully came out of those storage units and is now in your home. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We went, we went back and picked it up. Yeah. And, and the grind paid off. So, um, it's super cool. Go ahead and tell us like your, you know, what, what Tulsa has been like since you've been here. I mean, you've got a house and, um, and kids. So it's your Tulsa experience is very different than my Tulsa experience. I would also say that I think that my Tulsa experience has been different than, than the average person i would say like when when we first moved here we because tulsa remote, we, we had to live within the tulsa city limits in order to have all the benefits and all the cool stuff mm-hmm. and so we didn't have a lot of money because we were academics before i mean academics don't have money and we were living in my parents basement and so we were trying to figure out what to do and we had uh, three kids and um and a, a dog at that point um and so we got right outside of Catoosa, like right south of the Hard Rock Cafe or the Hard Rock Casino, casino yeah. right? Uh, we, we knew we were home when we could see the casino lights. And we, we called it the cockroach house because <laughs> it was infested with cockroaches and, and it was kind of miserable. And I was going through a really hard time at the job that I had gotten. Um, and it was, it was an interesting time that first year during the Tulsa, because I, I, I really wanted to be a part of the community that they had established. Um, but I was a little bit farther out of town. I had kids that, you know, they were young kids too. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really get that opportunity. But now that things have changed, I have a different job now um, where there's a lot more security and where I can do a lot of the building where I want to do over here. And th- that we, we, we bought a house. I've been... This, this past year and a half since that first year, so this is like now year two, three, mm-hmm. I have fallen in love with being here. And I don't know how much of that is Tulsa itself and how much of it is just circumstantial that I've been a traveling person and I want yeah. to now put down some roots. I have family who lives all over the country and when I tell them what I bought or how much I spent on my house, they, they scoff at me. <laughs> there are like water parks like little splash pads that my kids can run around in. Uh, the Tulsa Zoo is about to add a huge 10-acre thing. Like there's like a car vending machine, classic car thing coming up on Route 66. You yeah. can drive classic cars coming down the road. I feel like I'm coming into Tulsa at a good moment where it's just about to really just kind of boom. Um, I think that everything is there with what I'm seeing like last 
last month, and I'm literally looking forward to going to, the, to tomorrow, I think it is, or this this weekend, like the first Friday art crawl, mm-hmm. and like what Attento Capital puts on, and being able to, to go and meet other people who are like me. Yeah is a really cool experience I just have not had in other places. Uh, no, that's 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 awesome. And I think that I've heard a lot of people get to experience Tulsa in that way where it's like, you know, there's a little bit of a ramp up period, obviously, because you have to get you have to get comfortable in a new place. I mean, especially when you are not only just, you know, migrating yourself, you're migrating your whole family. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you have some support here and like, uh, you know, another person, um, in your family is here, but you know, you do kind of have to make your own way. And and it sounds like the first step was the cockroach house (laughs) (laughs) into um, the not cockroach house. I hope, I mean, I I imagine the splash pad house, let's call it that. Yeah. Now we call it, we call it the Guinea pig river house because (laughs) when we got there, they, the the people who were selling it, they had Guinea pigs on the backyard. Um, And, and there was a little fence that goes out to like a little tiny Creek. And my, my five-year-old, he's like, oh, my gosh, it's Guinea Pig River. <laughs> and so that's what we call the house. Like, we were, like, searching around for it. And uh, it I was, love that. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's cool to be able to, to give something a name. Yeah, yeah. Guinea Pig River. I will, I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out. Though. I, I think it's actually Tupuelo Creek. There is an actual Yeah, there's, there's a real name somewhere there. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, and I love that you kind of touched on, like, some of these events that are um, starting to become, like, main staples here, I think, in Tulsa. You know, Atento's doing a great job of, like, every Friday infusing art and entrepreneurship with um, kind of the other events that are going on around town so that you're experience, you can go and pop in and experience, like, one bit of the community and then go and experience the rest of it. It's, it's, a, it's a great little hallmark for that, that first part of the month to either network or get connected. And I think that folks are really starting to recognize that that can be how you create community, obviously. I mean, and how how important it is to be intentional with that with those spaces too. So it's it's like, you know, we're introducing a new artist that they do that every time they do the program. Um, they're like featuring a new artist. So they hang up the artist's artwork in there. And then they're also co-sponsoring like with another organization. So it, it really does give that exposure, which is really cool. And and, and to hear that it's being well received is great. So big shout out to our folks at Atento. Um, I'm really excited to kind of talk about, you know, the work that you're doing. You know, you, you mentioned earlier in kind of your introduction that you're building something. And uh, I'm really, there's, I, I love to hear when th- people are building things, whether it's, you know, all in your head or you're building something with your hands. Like, I think that it's, it's really cool to know that things can be built here, whether it's big ideas or even um, it, it, big ideas. They always start as big ideas, but I'm really excited to kind of talk about like what, project you're working on. I know you're part of the Builders and Backers program too. So if you don't mind telling our um, Grow With Us audience a little bit more about that as well, let, the floor is yours. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, I'm thinking about the questions that we were just talking about and how fascinated I am with Tulsa. And I think that the reason that I am and that I have been is because I know exactly what I want to do. That in is order, exciting. In order to do it, <laughs> I, need the, I needed the right environment. Um, and all the things that I was talking about before, all those things like being able to have a stable environment for my family, being able to do um, all those things was to be able to do this thing. And if I'm being completely arrogant, and I think that I am, I think that I'm kind of the poster kid for everything that these programs want to happen. 
we want to build technology companies in the middle of the country. That's what builders and backers wants. That's what Heartland wants. That's what George Kaiser wants. That's what uh, the foundation wants. That's what Tulsa Remote is all about. We want to build something big here. Yeah. I think that that is exactly what I'm doing. My background, I'm a writing teacher. My professional background is data. Everything that's hot right now is ChatGPT. The problem with everything that is ChatGPT, and not just ChatGPT, but a lot of things that are coming out right now, is something that I hold very dear to my heart, and that is ethics. Mm-hmm. And the ethical use of data. This is what my dissertation was all about. When we gather data about of this size, what is our ethical obligation to do something with it? And so I know that I want to build, like I'm, I'm like that, that poster kid to draw metaphor upon metaphor, right? I'm the poster <laughs> kid who's at the Petri dish, okay. right? And to use the buzzwords, I'm going to build an AI-powered teaching assistant for teachers who grade writing or who, who assign writing, but don't, they're not writing teachers. They don't grade writing because our students, they're writing in their classes. They're writing in their history class. They're writing in their chemistry class. They're writing in their music classes. Every class requires some form of writing. Yeah. And we have technology that can assess writing when it happens. Why do we need writing classes? I fundamentally, I, I don't think that universities need English 101 or 102 anymore. Yeah. I don't think that they've been working for a while. I've had problems with them in the past. Um, they operate on an incredibly hierarchical system that really takes advantage of graduate students and adjunct faculty and lecturers. Yeah. Everybody talks about how important writing is at the university. Even English departments write about how, or they talk about how important writing is. But when you look at who they ask to teach writing, it is an, an inexperienced graduate student or an overworked adjunct or lecturer yeah. getting paid shit. Yeah. And if you have a writing component in your class, right? Like I was a teacher. I taught four classes. I had 20 to 25 students per class. That's 100 students. And I was assigning about eight pages of content um, every two weeks. You know how much? That's, that's, that's a lot that's of writing. That's an <laughs> amount of reading. Yeah. And not only reading, but I have to offer quality feedback. Yeah. For how many, however many students are exactly. in the class. Yeah. And if I spend five minutes grading an essay, or if I spend 45 minutes grading an essay, I get paid the same. The same, yeah. And the students lose out on quality feedback because yeah. I don't have time or energy to do the things that they need. Yeah. We talk about why writing is such a poor state today. It's a billion-dollar industry or multi-million-dollar industry to teach college graduates how to write. Why? Why? Yeah. We have English departments. Um, and so I think that there's going to be a really hard reckoning that's going to come to English departments across the country. And they're going to be forced to ask the question, especially now with the advancement of ChatGPT. What I'm trying to build is this AI-powered teaching assistant. Um, and for me, and I, you know, I was going ranty and everybody could kind of hear me fading away. Um, and that's because that was not worth listening to, <laughs> that rant. Um, ask me about another day. I think that we can teach students how to write better today um, and give teachers more of their lives back yeah. by not having to grade writing on their own. 
I think that's a great. That's a if if you look at like how businesses get started. I mean, and and kind of how innovation starts. It's you know obviously starting with a problem. And I think as an academic, you've had lots of time in that space to recognize what the problem is, and you just highlighted it. Um, you know, wasting essentially the time of the teacher, or not necessarily wasting the time of the teacher, but um, the professor, the the adjunct professor, or the um, the underpaid graduate student essentially has the same amount of time, like you said, to grade X amount of students and give the quality that's obviously very variable. That's like, that's a big complaint that I have of like, you know, I I went to a university that that prided itself on, you know, small class sizes. You would get great feedback from professors because like you're, you're going to know your professor like a first name basis. Well, that's not necessarily true (laughs) for even if the classroom is like, as small as four people, which I did have a class once that was as small as four people. A professor is teaching. Of course, they might have this four-person class, but they also probably have this 25-person class that is assigning maybe even more work. I mean, the one of the classes I'm thinking of as an example is like a French um, cinema class that I was in. I took that professor's class uh, three times over the time that I was in school. And he's having to read three we were reading, we were submitting three to five page responses in French to movies that we had watched. And that was for four students. So that's what, 20 pages up up to upwards of 20 pages in French, which of course he's a French professor. He should be able to do that. But then he also teaches another class that has 30 people in it. And I took the class that he was teaching that term and he was assigning us three pages a week to also read and write and everything too. So it's like truly there is, I mean, this is French. Imagine like when you're when you're talking about like those history classes, those English classes, um, and really every class that you're writing in, I would always get like big projects of like eight page papers, ten page papers, and then get it back with like two comments on it. And that's that's pretty frustrating <laughs> when it comes down to like your ROI on you know how much I'm paying for how much I'm getting. I want I want feedback. I want someone to criticize. I guess not criticize my writing in the sense of tearing it down, but criticizing it so that I can be better and I can articulate myself better. And there were very few classes where I felt like that happened. See, and I think it's not even, it's not even just that. It's, it's, it's think about like all those people who are assigning all those papers. They're not writing teachers. Yeah. They don't, they, they are not, they're not trained on what a good sentence looks like yeah. and how it should be assessed and how to teach a student how to write a better sentence. And I think that you're right, that I think that students, they deserve, and I love that they're thinking about ROI, like the fact that students are thinking about ROI is, is a beautiful thing. College ain't cheap. No, exactly. <laughs> like I'm still carrying that, I'm carrying that debt, right? And so I, 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 I think about these students who, who come in and they, they want to improve knowledge. Like they, they, they want to learn. They want to do these things. And teachers, they want to teach. They want to teach. But the amount of labor that goes in into providing quality feedback in a way that a student can take it and have it be useful, that's just too much. Yeah. And what the student wants in that class is is not comments on their writing because that's considered a red ink. Yeah. Like they want to know what about my ideas? Yeah. And teachers want to grade ideas. They don't want to f- go through all of the, the, well, your sentences are so bad. I can't even read this because the sentences are bad. No. Well, guess what? 
my algorithms will assess those sentences for you. And you don't have to. That's pretty dope. Yeah. I'd love to kind of circle back to this like problem. I, I think that really maybe it's my own understanding, but it's, it sounds like you kind of have some understanding on too, like what chat GB, GPT, I literally don't even know what it's called. Um, what is that? What What's the threat, I guess, of that? Um, obviously, there's innovation in there as well. It wouldn't be and it's not just this villain that's you know coming out and, and out of nowhere, but kind of what what challenge does the existence of that um, type of technology and what is that type of technology? If if you know, and this is mm-hmm. a totally on the spot question. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I enjoy talking about AI and stuff. I'm trying to build AI. Uh, ChatGPT is the latest and greatest, um, and I'll say this: it's the most user friendly artificial intelligence that's out there. Um, and what makes it so innovative? is that it is, it is the knowledge at your fingertips. We used to think we had that with Google, but you had to search for things. Mm-hmm. You had to filter through ads, and you had a whole bunch of BS that you had to get through. Now you type in a question and you get an answer. That's beautiful. How is it a threat? There's a threat in a lot of different ways, but let's talk about how it's a threat to education. So here's how education right, is, is primarily being impacted. Everybody is asking this question, what are we going to do to assess student knowledge? And that is such a sad, stupid question to ask because it is grounded in a lack of trust or faith that students want to learn. Mm-hmm. Students want to learn. Yeah, That's why they're going there. They understand that they have to create content in order to demonstrate what they need to do. Are they going to create shortcuts around what you're doing? Yes. Is that because what you're doing is often bullshit and they're not getting quality feedback and they understand that you're giving them two minutes of your time while you're posting on social media about this glass of wine that you're Mm -hmm. creating? Like, is that neglect? And I don't know. I think that students are unhappy. I think that teachers are tired. And I think that the introduction of artificial intelligence like November 2022, right, was the introduction of our industrial revolution of today. The difference between then and now is that you can see progress in a matter of days. Like you can, you can, before, like when it was released, it's like, hey, you type in a prompt and then you'll get an answer. Now it's type into something and let me create a 3D world rendering of the thing that you're describing to me. Oh, wow. The the advancement of technology is incredible. Yeah. Universities are slow behemoths. (laughs) They just don't do anything very fast. Yeah. Institutions. And and there are already schools that are shutting down. There are already programs that are getting cut. Um, It was was Purdue University, right? They have one of the most premier... Um, online writing labs in the country, right? Everybody knows about Al Purdue Lab and their English department's getting cuts. Why? I mean, let's face it, higher education is not separate from industry or business. Mm -hmm. It's an extension of it. And English departments are not bringing in revenue. They're not bringing in customer satisfaction. Like, is it sad that we're thinking about this? I don't know. Should students be getting a better education for a cheaper price? Absolutely. I think everybody's agreeing that the quality of education is diminishing. 
and the cost is increasing. Yeah. We can either change that, disrupt it a lot through the use of artificial intelligence and letting people have their lives back. Or you can be part of a program that gets shut down. I love the way you framed that kind of last part about, you know, whether you're, you really have two choices. Are you going to be part of this, like, I mean, antiquated system of take, 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 you know, low ROI for the students, you know, you're lot, you, you know, you're not, you're just not getting what you think you're paying for, um, or you're going to get shut down. There, there really is, it's a, it sounds like a lose, lose <laughs> with when you frame it like that. And, and, and when that's, in the scenario that you don't lean into the technology, you don't lean into the innovation, and I, I think that kind of what you're what you're pointing out is a, is a big, I think, area for innovation. And so I, it sounds like you're using resources um, that are local here, like through the Builders Backers program, and also your your career, your your the how, however long it took you to get to this point, you know, from grad school to. Um, your PhD program to apply these philosophies and and this da- this data set, the skill set to disrupting this industry. So, kind of tell me about what what that feels like for you. Um, whether it's the ideas at builders and backers, or you know, what what does that feel like? I've I've always um, I've always struggled with arrogance and overconfidence. I think that's I think we kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, I think the thing that all of this petri dish of Tulsa's economy has given me, I think is external validation that these ideas that I have um, are worth being considered by people who have money to invest. Um, In graduate school, graduate school is a hard place to have good ideas because everybody loves your ideas, mm-hmm. right? And the people who don't like your ideas, they're supposed to like your because you're, they're your professor or they're just an asshole or whatever. <laughs> but to come and to, um, it feels fucking amazing. I don't, I don't know how else to say that, that I feel like this is exactly what I am supposed to be doing. Just like it, like it was a long path to get here. Um, I've, I've been in the trenches teaching classes, hundreds of students, reading thousands of pages of content. I've talked to dozens and dozens of teachers who are leaving on math. Like the, the, the way I got my new job is by helping other teachers, like quote unquote, helping other teachers. I was just like, hey, I'm going to share my story out loud. And other people were paying attention to it. Yeah. And that's how I got my job. I had, like, I had ta- I've talked to hundreds of teachers who are tired who love teaching. I love teaching. I wish I could be in a classroom again. I don't know if I would ever want to be ever in the circumstance that it is right now, knowing what I can see in the future. And, and I think about like what you, what you said at the beginning of this, con- like you said that, that there, there are two options, right? We could do this or we could do this. And, and I think about like the antiquated thing or we can kind of jump into it. My academic tendency would be to watch what happens and then to write a paper about it <laughs> and to spend two years publishing it in a journal that 10 people will read. Or I can be the thing they're writing about. Yeah. I would much rather do that. And to everybody who's like, we shouldn't be doing this technology, da 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 A long time ago, there was a guy named Plato who was making the exact same argument 
that people are making today about why we should not embrace this technology because it's going to ruin our thought. It's going to ruin everything. And he was talking about the creation of the alphabet. Plato, the person who wrote a shit ton of stuff, thought that the alphabet would ruin cognitive thinking. That's what you... I'm seeing BuzzFeed articles about that right now. I can't imagine... um cognitive thinking without the alphabet. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're a different, different time shift. In 10 years, they will not be able to imagine cognitive thinking without artificial without intelligence. AI, yeah. That's really interesting to think about. I, I, it's, it's kind of hard for me to wrap... I mean, I think this is on purpose, but it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around artificial intelligence. Um, and I guess, like, it's role in my life because, you know, the, the only things that I think of immediately when I think of like artificial intelligence and this might be silly and you can say that it's silly is like Siri. (laughs) Siri and Alexa and Google have like AI consumer products that I feel like I interact with. Other than that, like, and and then if I, if I break that down even more, I don't ever talk to Siri. (laughs) That's just me personally. Siri does not answer my questions. I go to I mean, I don't really have all these questions all the time or anything, but if I were to go, if I were to have a question, I would go, like you said, search on the, in like a search engine or whatever to try to find something in the web browser. But now it sounds like people's instincts are not people's instincts. I, I think that there, there is, there being another alternative of like, oh, good, we'll go into chat GPT and like look at, you know, this rendering or, the, or really just the simple answer. You know, obviously it's, it sounds like there's, a wide variety of the ways in which you can receive information from that. I think that's going, I don't know, what's a kid going to look at that and be like, how how is that going to change the way that they view the world if like they can now view the world if artificial intelligence is kind of telling them how to view the world? Not telling them, but showing them a way in which you can do it. It's kind of interesting to think about. Hmm. Well, I think that if we look at the word media, right, and how... Media is connected to the word mediation. We have technology, social media, right? Technology, like, so Facebook is mediation of information, right? Mm-hmm. So I would argue that we're already being manipulated by, like you said, our different artificial intelligence before. Like, it's not just, like, things that can think. It's, you know, automation of tasks. Yeah. Algorithms. Um, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. and I think that, like, so, like, I mean, take like, take how many times I've screwed up on this episode, Right. That would, you know, take some, you know, a professional sound engineer, right? Maybe a quite bit of time to go and, and edit that. A professional sound engineer is a professional sound engineer because they know what buttons to click. They know what to do. It's mm-hmm. effective. Right. If you have a computer sit and watch that, those those actions, now there's AI that can edit this podcast in eight minutes. Yeah. Right. Like if, if like you go in and you screw up, I can go, you can, you can use artificial intelligence to modify, to, to clone your voice. And when you screw up, you can just, you don't have to, you don't have to go back and like, is the microphone the right tone? I'm not in the right, I'm not in the same room. It's different humidity. You just clone your voice Hmm. and then it's there. It's, I would say. Our kids, like you, you asked, like our kids aren't going to imagine a life with, or like, our, like we can't imagine a life today without artificial intelligence. It's so embedded yeah. in what we do. Now, it's threatening jobs, and that's what people are afraid of. Yeah, and honestly, there's a threat. Yes, but as what happens with all advancements of technology, 
the world gets better and we create different kinds of jobs. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about building this type of artificial intelligence. It's, it's I know it's um, a big part of your project and and one thing that you're you're looking to you're in a sourcing mode too. Of so how, what's the process like? Yeah, so that's what I'm grinding on right now, day to day when I'm not working um, at my nine at my nine to five gig. I believe fundamentally the problem with most artificial intelligence is not the algorithm; it's the data, it's the quality of the data that we have. And I believe fundamentally that when we train something, it should be sourced ethically. And so that's what I'm doing right now. Like I want to build an AI company. Everybody else in the world almost you know, is, is saying, how can I piggyback on existing technology? And what we're seeing right now today in the news, April 5th, right, is that they're, they're challenging that and the, and the ethics of that. And there's other things I can't remember. So I'm working with builders and backers. They said, hey, we, want, we like your idea. Here's $5,000. Thank you, builders and backers and Heartland Forward. Thank you for that. Um, and I said, thank you. I want to take that money and I want to give it away. And they said, uh, excuse me? <laughs> they, said, they said, what now? Um, and I said, I want to collect 5,000 essays. In order for me to train my algorithm, I, technically, I need 750,000 sentences, um, which turns out to be about 3,500 eight-page essays. If I operate on the assumption that some are going to be not great, or there's going to be a varying in length, and you know, five thousand matches the word five thousand, yes. the number five thousand. So I'm giving away five thousand dollars to get five thousand essays. I've already I launched on March twenty twenty first. Um, it's been two weeks um, as of yesterday. I have thirty users. I have forty one essays. I've already given two students five hundred dollars. A student in Kennesaw, um, Kennesaw State University um, in Georgia and um, a student at Boston College. And I was sitting at the desk with my wife when we got their responses that they had just won $500. It's a lot of money to a college student. And yeah. it was, I mean, if that's the only thing that comes of this is like being able to do that. I mean, that's something that I'm proud of. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's, so it sounds like you're, and you can comment, jump in and correct me. You want more essays. You need, yeah. you need more people. I want more essays. I need more essays. Yeah, I've got more money. I have got $4,000 to give. Um, we, um, this is releasing on May 9th, if everyone I recall. And uh, we're, we're collecting essays through the end of the semester, essentially. So right now, I mean, every, like we have students, hundreds of thousands of students right now across the country writing essays. Some of them, are they using ChatGPT? I hope so. <laughs> because they should be, right? But they're writing words. And I after I collect these 5,000 words or 5,000 essays, I'm going to open a, um, a vetted community of crowdsourcing experts to help me train these essays. And I'm up to about 20 points in my, um, my criteria for my algorithm, right? And I'm going to do a double, a double read of every sentence. So that means that every sentence that I collect is going to be read and assessed 40 times. Wow. So that means that by the end, my out, like I'll be able to say that, hey, you don't have time to read 50 pages or 50 papers this week. I can read those 50 pages 40 times for you in three minutes. And I can do it in a way that provides personalized feedback to the student on what they need to do to improve with their writing. Not every student needs to learn about thesis statements again. 
Not every student needs to learn about transitions. Mm-hmm. But if I can see from your writing that you're weak in sentence-to-sentence transitions versus paragraph-to-paragraph transitions, I can say, hey, here's a lesson for you. And let me bring in um, a professional biologist because you're in a biology class. Let me bring in a professional biologist as a video to teach you about the importance of transitions and why they matter in the words and in, in what you do. The problem with a writing classroom is that we're trying to teach the most fundamentally important thing about knowledge in a place where it just doesn't matter. Mm. You're trying to make up reasons for students to write about things and they end up teaching that thing more than writing. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good point. I feel like, I, I feel like a little bit lucky just reflecting on my experience, like my writing class uh, in college, we had to take two. The first one I took was a uh, medical ethics course. Um, and it was taught, essentially, we, we talked, one of the main things we talked about was like, designer babies. And we had to like, take this like, um, biotechnology uh, product and um, I like write about the ethics of it. And one of, one of the things that I wrote about was um, ingestible sunscreen and essentially like this, I'm, I'm going on this tangent cause I think it's, it's, it's relevant, but um, my teacher was not a biologist was, I mean, they, the teacher, my professor like understood ethics of course, and like could assess that from my writing and stuff. But I was just pulling stuff out from, you know, God knows what article and, and stringing it along together for, you know, in the middle of like studying for my calculus exams and like studying for my biology exams, like writing all these papers. And then at the end of it, uh, at the end of getting that paperback, it's like B plus A minus, like great job. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I spent a long time working on that. And all I got was that validation of like, it was a a well-worded, I mean, I I don't even know what about it was well-worded except for like, Maybe if like one paragraph had like, ooh, like this, like that that's literally how like some of my feedback in college was. And so, you know, it, that, and that's probably the professor reading it once or tw- I mean, once, of course, twice, generous, three times. No professor, like my professor was not reading it three times. Here's, here's how I was taught to assess writing, right? Um. And this is, a, I, I, I taught this shortcut to my students, essentially. I said, you know what you need to focus on? You don't have a lot of time. You have a strong intro, strong conclusion, strong topic sentences. Yeah. Because teachers don't have time to read more than an intro, the topic sentences, and then the conclusion. Because, um, I mean, they're not assessing sentences. They're assessing ideas. Yeah. And the problem with a writing classroom is that writing is who is is becoming too disassociated with writing as an as a as a craft? Yes, like the art of writing a sentence, because graduate students don't want to teach about verbs, and <laughs> we've been hearing about verbs since the sixth grade, and that's the reason. The reason is because we've been trying to teach people about verbs in a context saying, "Hey, you need to learn that verbs are important." What is more effective is when you're in a biology classroom. And you say, you can't use that verb. Let me tell you why. And then you say, what is a verb? And say, oh, I know. Because writing it is, is auxiliary to everything else. Yeah. It's, it's supplemental too. And if you tell that to a writing teacher or an English department, they'll get so sad. And they'll get so mad. And they say, we're not a service course. And shake their fists. 
and we're just going to watch their budgets crumble. Yeah. Or watch them continue to be undervalued um, when we could, we can continue or we could shift that value to other things kind of like you're saying. So I think this is really interesting. It's, it's, it's very, it's a very thought provoking discussion for me. I, I think because I've been quite, quite a bit, I guess, like interrogating, you know, the, the role that technology plays in my life. And sometimes I think it's a good thing to do, you know, like whether, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, am I on my phone too much? You know, your phone will tell you like how much you're on your screen or whatever. And so I think about that and then I get even more existential. I'm like, am I always looking at a screen? <laughs> and so that to then think about like more things that are, I guess, like require not requiring us, but um, enabling us to use technology but actually, in this sense, it it allows us to have more of our life back in, in the sense of, like you were saying earlier in the conversation, like, so a professor is not having to read, like, essays on a screen and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling or whatever. And, like, maybe they're actually enjoying that glass of wine that they posted on Instagram, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but and, and still doing their job. I mean, I think I think that's the question, you know, that I have left to answer is that, you know, like, how is a professor like doing their job by like putting it through like a, an AI, um, I guess, mod- or uh, some, some type of AI to like give feedback? Well, their job is teaching. So their job is lecturing. I guess that's maybe the, that's probably the answer to that question. Well, but. See, I don't anticipate being like, I don't think that I can grade a paper in and of itself. What I can do is grade sentences. This teacher still needs to read it, but now they just need to read for content. Yeah. They get to read for the thing that they love, right? And they get to tap the reason they got into education in the first place. Yeah. The the thing, the, the content, mm-hmm. the, 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 the part of it that actually is related to the class <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, exactly. and not the semantics, maybe for lack of a better word, or, or the grammatical things that are going on there. Um, that's really interesting. I, I, I appreciate you kind of broaching the subject for me and, and allowing us to kind of dive into it in a, in a deep way here. Cause I think that one, uh, I hope that Tulsa continues to be like this landscape for you to like explore what building this algorithm and, and building this AI uh, technology can look like. It sounds like it already has what uh, inspired you one with like <laughs> the comfortability in which to explore these ideas and then also the resources to continue growing them. So that's super exciting and I'm really glad to hear it. Let's kind of round out the, our discussion today a little bit more with like, do you mind sharing, you know, personally how you've interacted with the community here in Tulsa, both per- personally and professionally, like as it relates to this project or even even beyond that? Thank you. Um, well, first, I'll I'll say thank you for having me here again in this physical place. Again, thank you. This has been really, really fun. Um, and I hope that people who are interested in this uh, can reach out. It's I got to do my plug, right? Yes, it's, please it's, do. It's projectrhizome.com. And that's R-H-I-Z-O-M-E.com. Um, where you can find stuff. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Eric James Stevens, PhD. What and how has Tulsa been a part of all of this? And how have I been exploring Tulsa? Um, one of my, I love um, having ideas. And I love being able to roam around downtown at night, um, like on a Friday and a Saturday, and just like talk to people. Oh, I love talking to people. And being able to have micro, um, micro conversations about things I'm doing 
and things that they're doing. And just like having this, that ebb and flow of going back and forth. My, my two very favorite places to go a Thursday night is the Colony on 28th and Harvard. Mm-hmm. Now there's a guy there who plays music there every Thursday, Seth Lee Jones. Amazing music. Beautiful guitars. And I love talking to people there. Uh, there's there's a bartender there who I think I'm trying to get her to go and connect with the the um, the female pitch founders night here in Tulsa. Saying, yeah. like, you, you have a business idea. You should be going over there. And we've been talking about it um, in a not creepy way, I promise. Um, <laughs> and then uh, there's also like, I'll plug another place that I think it just opened up um, that I love is Thelma's Peach. And that's over in the Whittier District, I think that's called. Okay. It's like Lewis and around there. And what I love about that place is that it draws a variety of local talent. Um, I've seen uh, just tons of different performances um, and types of performances. But what I like about it is the variety of people. You go downtown, there's a certain type of people, right? You go to Broken Arrow, certain type of people. Um, you go to the colony, certain type of people. <laughs> you go to Thelma's Peach, you don't know what to expect. Um, and that's why I think it's really cool about Tulsa um, is it's a place where it's trying to cross boundaries. And as someone who thinks in a crossing boundary way, I love it. Yeah, that's super cool. It's, it sounds like a, a, a landscape in which to explore that, uh, that mm-hmm. as well. So that's super cool. Um, yeah, you, you just plugged, you just plugged it, but if there's anything, it yeah. plug it again. Yeah. Project Rhizome.com. Yeah. I Project love it. Rhizome. And you, yes, you're, you're on LinkedIn, Eric James Stevens, um, as well. That's where f- folks can find you. Um, this is awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grow With Us. Grow With Us is supported by Intulsa Initiatives. If you're interested in learning more about Intulsa services for job placement and workforce initiatives, please visit talent.intulsa.com. From there, you can join our talent network where you will get access to our newsletter and our talent team will make sure we put the right opportunities on your radar. We put the choice to pursue a new career and opportunities in your hands. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. It really helps. Grow With Us is edited and engineered by Rant9 Productions and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us. Grow With Us.